What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Built Different Podcast. My name is Zach Clinton. I'll be your host. And as we continue to grow, I'll have friends joining me each week to interview some of the leading experts in the fields of motivational speaking, mental health, ministry, and even sports. Our goal is to instill hope, encouragement, and motivation in and through your life today. And our prayer is that after each episode, you'd be more equipped and encouraged to look, love, and live more like Christ from the inside out. That's our definition of what it means to be built different. So I hope you're ready. You better buckle up. Let's roll. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to this week's edition of the Built Different Podcast. You guys, let me tell you something. Today's interview just excites me because our guest today is one that has so much passion and conviction behind the message that God has just ultimately placed and fueled on his heart. His name is Mr. Addison Bevere. Addison Bevere, he's a guy that loves disassembling the boxes that ultimately fragment and frustrate our lives, a process that he calls integrative faith. He's the author of Saints, the co-author of The Holy Spirit, in introduction. He's also the co-founder of Sons and Daughters. He serves as the chief operating officer of Messenger International, which is a discipleship organization that impacts millions of people in nearly every country. He and his wife, Julie, have four children, and they currently live in Nashville, Tennessee. But most recently, and what we're going to talk a lot about today and unpack is he's the author of his new book that he recently released this past April titled Words with God, Trading Boring and Empty Prayer for Real Connection. And just to give you guys a better understanding of what this conversation and what that book is all about, I'm going to read you guys just a short bio that's attached with the book on his website. He writes, let's face it, for most of us, prayer's a struggle. We know we should pray, right? Deep down, we have some sense that it would be good for us, that it would help us be more grounded and more connected to God. However, in the busyness of our hurried lives, slowing down to pray can often feel like a cosmic waste of time. We start asking questions like, do our prayers even matter? Why does it often feel like there's no one on the other end of the line? What, if anything, is truly happening when we pray? Or are we having words with God or just words with ourselves? But in this book and really throughout this conversation, right, titled Words with God, Addison Bevere invites you deeper into the tension of prayer, the struggles, the doubts, the answers, the divine wrestling of it all. In this fast-paced and fragmented world, you'll discover how prayer is the only way to put it all back together. Throughout history, the people of God have been known as those who wrestle with him, right? There are no formulas. God doesn't fit in our boxes. He can't be pinned down, but he invites us to know him by contending with him authentically, honestly, here and now. My friends, this conversation is one that's just raw. I mean, we're going back and forth, and I absolutely love, again, just the energy that Addison brings, but I also love the vulnerability in which he shares. I'm, I've already read this book, Words with God, and let me tell you something, it has truly impacted my life. It has actually deepened my prayer life because I'm able to understand prayer at a whole different level. A guy, I'm, I'm talking to you right here, I, I grew up in a Christian home, went to a Christian private school my entire life, attended church my entire life, went to Liberty University for my undergraduate masters and now my doctoral program right i've been around this christian space in this faith walk for quite some time but sometimes prayer can just be confusing i'll be honest with you sometimes it seems like 
I don't know, maybe we equate God's silence with his inaction in our lives. But what Addison helps us understand is that prayer really isn't about just us starting a conversation with God. It's actually about us entering into the conversation with him. And by turning down the voice of culture and society and the voice of the accuser, we can actually turn up the voice of God in our personal lives to then better attune ourselves to the spirit of God and help ourselves understand what that ultimate peace really looks like and what that comfort looks like in the times of stress or duress but also in great times as well. Just being able to not just communicate with God, but to connect with Him at a whole different, more personal and more intimate level. You guys, I cannot wait um, just to receive some of the feedback from you guys after you hear this interview. Addison's gonna equip you guys with just some incredible different perspectives and just different points that I too believe will help you as you develop and as you try to continually strengthen and foster that relationship with God as well. So without further ado, let me introduce you to my friend, Mr. Addison Bevere. Addison, thank you so much for joining me today, man. Zach, thanks for having me. I've been looking forward to this conversation. Absolutely, brother. I'm really looking forward to it as well. Just excited to dive into a new book that you just released this past April titled Words with God, Trading Boring Empty Prayer for a Real Connection. And you know, before we even jumped on here, before I pressed the record button, we were just <laughs> chatting about how I've had the opportunity and the privilege of really coming alongside of getting to know your parents at a deeper level at some of our events, your dad a couple years back at our AACC World Conference, your mom, several of our extraordinary women events throughout the years. And I've just been able to, as I get to know them, I see the leaders that they are in the faith. I also hear tons of stories about what it was like <laughs> raising you and your three brothers, right? I know that you were you were raised in a Christian household, a God-fearing home. And I can relate to that because I think of my parents. My parents were heavily involved in ministry my entire life, grew up going to church my entire upbringing, still do, went to a private Christian school, went to Liberty University. I've been in that Christian <laughs> bubble, right? My entire life. But this conversation about prayer that we're going to engage in today, I think is something that is so needed and so necessary because a lot of people miss the mark. Like they don't understand it. And so for you, Addison, I know that you're very open. You're very vulnerable in the first couple chapters of your book, which I really appreciate. You talk a lot about how difficult life was to manage, how just out of control it was. There was a lot of busyness going on. When was it though for you, this is kind of my first question for the audience, when was it for you that the heart for this book was really sparked within you and just this deeper desire and longing to be connected to God? Yeah, I, thank you, first of all. Yeah, Zach, it's good to be on here with you and thank you for the kind words. Man, I would say it's it's multifaceted and it's progressive. I think for many things in our lives, we, we can look back at singular moments and be like, yes, it happened in that moment. But so many other things about us in our formation, it, it's a, it's the cumulative effect. Mm -hmm. There's this tipping point. There's a lot, there's a series of moments and they come together to create a moment. And that, a, that greater moment, it really does feel like just a combination of a lot of other moments. Um, but for me, it, um, it did happen in the midst of a season. You read the book yep. where I was, where I was navigating insomnia. And um, it was five years, man, five years of not being able to sleep, five years of living in a perpetual fog. And uh, it was in this season where I felt completely abandoned by God. I grew up with amazing God-fearing parents. Um, I, I grew up in, in a very Christian world, a, a Christian-oriented world. Um, but the, I would say some of the cheap ideas 
of God of prayer that maybe were borrowed. Like maybe they're not necessarily cheap in themselves, but they were cheap to me because they were borrowed. Yeah. Uh, they, they, they were lacking in this season. And, and I learned that there are some truths about God that only become real when we pay the price of making them our own. Mm. And it was in this season that I exchanged ideas of God for a true understanding of God's nature and God's character and how that works itself out in my life and in my pain and my struggle and my pursuit of purpose. And so in this particular season, I, um, I was doing a lot of great things on the outside. I was, I was winning as I write in the book, I was, um, failing successfully yeah. as my interior life disintegrated. <laughs> and, and I was trying everything. I was taking all the stuff. I was implementing all the great routines to try to navigate this, this obstacle of, of insomnia and nothing was working, but bro, I, I figured something out that God has a way of not delivering us from a thing. If he knows that that thing is ultimately going to deliver us to him. Wow. And in so many ways, I thought prayer was just another thing to master, to figure out, to get to whatever is next. I didn't realize that prayer is the journey into the heart of God. Like God doesn't need us to pray so that we can figure out what to do next. God needs us to pray so we can encounter the reality of who he is. And from that place of connection, intimacy, we come to know what to do next. And I very much, my approach to life was God, just give me the answers. I would never have articulated it like this, but my approach to life was God, give me the answers and get out of my way. Come like, on. just like, tell me what I need to do so I could be faithful, yep. so I could be good, so I could be true, so I can live a life of purpose and meaning, like all good things so I can find peace. And God's like, no, no, no. Peace is not found in this illusion of self-sufficiency. Peace is actually found in being connected to me. I, it's not found in having all the answers. It's found when we're in tune with the one who is the answer. Wow. And it was in in that season that I realized that, Prayer really was was the part of my life that had to transform in order for me to cope with and make sense of the pain and the tension and the hope and the promise that God had spoken over my life. Man, Addison, you know, some powerful words right there. And I can really relate to that idea of praying to God and just wanting those answers. I can think back to a point in my life I've shared with a lot of, you know, our guests and our listeners throughout the years of just where I was very broken, trying to navigate the complexities, trying to navigate the uncertainty of what was next, right? And it, I was very devastated this specific point in my life. And I kind of went to God and I just went with this all out surrender where I was like, I've been gripping this, white knuckling this for so long. I've been seeking the answers and I just don't feel like I've heard your voice, right? I can't understand what that comes from. And so I went to him and I just like released it all, right? With open yeah. And in that moment, I felt like God imprinted on my life the word, Zach, in the absence of clarity, there's an invitation to intimacy with me. Just like you said, even when you don't have all the answers, I am the answer that you seek. I am all that you need. I am enough. And it brought me back to these days. So I grew up where I had a grandfather that we called Papa C. He was an old, old church pastor at three different rural, like, Churches in the middle of nowhere. I'm talking Pennsylvania. So like the hills in the backwoods of central PA. And he, uh, it's funny because he would like pastor a group of maybe 20 people at a, at the time when we kind of arrived, 15 of those 20 were our family members, which is kind of comical. <laughs> but that dude, man, yeah. he would give everything he had to like he was speaking at 20,000. He was just yeah. so 
attuned to the spirit and he was so walking step by step alongside of him and i always admired that about him but i remember in that moment when i felt like god imprinted that on my heart right in the absence of clarity there's this invitation to intimacy with me i was in my papa c's old office and i just was able to see where he would keep all of his sermons where he would really just go to connect with god intimately and personally had all of his books all of his notes but i found an old keychain i'm talking this thing was way old and it says that prayer opens heaven's door. And it stuck with me. And I was like, man, what exactly does that mean? Because this idea of prayer, maybe for a lot of our listeners, Addison, it's so complex. It's so difficult to understand because as you wrote in your book on the first page, when you think of conversation, when you think of communication, it happens between two or more people. But oftentimes, like you mentioned, in this picture and imagery of a canyon, you're yelling and all you hear is the echo of your own voice back. How can yeah. we begin to pray when it feels like, or how do we even develop the words with God when it seems like mm-hmm. he's just silent on the other end? Yeah, it seems like he doesn't want to have words with us, right? Like, yeah. like we're we're checking the boxes we're checking the proverbial boxes but god is checked out yeah and and there's a lot about the the nature of religion that tells us if you do x the god or the gods must do y Mm. and and god's not in the business of transaction god's in the business of transformation Mm. and transformation happens in the context of relationship and when when we look at this this journey through the silence and as you know the second chapter in the book is called into silence as we journey into silence, we, we learn what I, what I like to call the active and intense listening. Mm. See, even when, when you and I were talking about prayer, there's, there's a certain model of prayer that, that populates in the minds of our listeners. And it's probably different from person to person. Yeah. But what we don't realize, at least the majority of us don't realize, is the majority of prayer would fall under the banner of silence, would mm. fall under the banner of listening, would fall under the banner of sensitivity would fall under the banner of yielding, of surrendering, of acknowledging. And yet so much of what we think of when it comes to prayer is us moving our mouths. It puts the focus, it puts the emphasis, it puts the strength on us and not on our surrender to God. It makes prayer a function that we grasp rather than an opportunity for us to be grasped by something beyond us. And there's a, there's a distress that generates an intensive receptivity to every shred of communication from God. Mm. And, and I, love, I love what you said about clarity and intimacy, because what happens, Zach, is when we have clarity, we have a way of rejecting the price to pay for intimacy. Because intimacy is messy. Even, I mean, there are some who believe, and there's some debate around this, but there's some who believe that the word intimate comes from the Latin intimere, mm. or intimacy, intimere, which, which literally means into fear. Yeah. And so the idea of intimacy is scary. So we'll do whatever we can to avoid being known and knowing like that because we're scared of what may be discovered about us or about life, our lack, our disappointments, our frustrations. And we bring that into prayer. And so what we bring to prayer is, is, is contrived. Mm-hmm. It's transactional. It's not an honest and authentic expression of who we are, where we're at, and, and ultimately what God has spoken over us and promised to us. So when it comes to this idea of moving through silence, we have to realize, one, that silence is a language of God's. It's not the only language of God's, but it is a language of God's. And two, I learned in this season of insomnia where I felt like God had abandoned me, that silence is not rejection. It's actually an invitation 
to a fresh way of knowing and being known. And it's in, it's in the silence, as I was sharing earlier, that we have to let go of some of these cheap and superficial ideas of God and ourselves and purpose so that we can journey into more mature and more complete, more meaningful frameworks of community and purpose and self, all of that, that will go the distance, especially when life hits us in the face. Yeah, no, I think that's so good. It's that idea, like you said, of being known. And, you know, I, I kind of quoted you from your book. You wrote, it would seem that having words with God is about joining the conversation rather than just simply starting it, right? I thought that was so profound. I'm like, man, I never thought of it that way. Because like you said, God's voice is always active, right? But it's whether or not we're listening, whether or not we're choosing to connect, to hear that still small voice, that whisper in our lives. He's not going to yell at us, right? Because it'd be easy to hear him from that distance. But it's being able to press in to actually connect with him intimately. As and as you're saying, I believe there's a difference too between begging, right? And actually connecting, actually conversing mm. with God. Prayer really isn't about getting what we want from God. Rather, it's about getting more of God. It's not the prayer or the words per se that hold the power, but the God who is the object of true prayer. Because regardless if things change, if our circumstances change or not, right, we have the opportunity to discover that God then is enough. But yes. it's easy to say, it's a lot harder to do, right? And so I, I was sure. looking up some statistics here for a second. It says that, you know, Christians here, I'm talking about Christians. Christians pray on average 15 to 30 minutes per week. Yet we watch over three hours of television per day. That's mind boggling, right? First and foremost. And there's obviously an incongruence. What I would ask you, Addison, as we've already stated, in knowing that prayer is very important and knowing that it's the pathway to peace and comfort that we ultimately seek, why is it so difficult for us to pray? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think there's a few reasons why. One of them is fundamentally, we don't understand what prayer is. Hmm. So there's even, even the way we quantify prayer. Yeah. Is, is not a true nod to the robustness of prayer and what all should be included within the folds of prayer. So when you look at something like 1 Thessalonians 5.17 and Romans 12.12, 12, where Paul says, pray without ceasing, how in the world would our idea of prayer be possible yeah. to do always? Yeah. There's no way. But if we do take what Paul says seriously, then we have to believe that the life of the Christ follower can become one mighty integrated prayer. Mm -hmm. which causes us to take a step back and be like, okay, so what, what is this prayer thing really all about? Yeah. What does it mean to join the conversation and not just start it? Like I think of Psalm 29 and this description of the voice of the Lord and how the voice of the Lord is moving across the earth. And you, and you mentioned that. And, and you mentioned first Kings 19 with yep. the still small voice, how that's actually translated, like how it reads in Hebrew though, is it, it wasn't the fire right? It's thin silence. It's thin silence. Like literally it's thin silence. That's how God met with him. When, when Elijah was having this existential crisis, that's how God got a hold of him. It was in the thin silence. And so, first of all, I would say we need to change our idea of prayer. Yeah. And we need to realize that prayer is an invitation into a, a state of constant communion. But this can't happen unless we embrace what, what I call like the two parent types of prayer. Like I put all types of prayer and you read the book into, into two. The first part I would say is quality time. 
Okay. The second part, the second type would be conscious time. So we look at the life of Jesus. Jesus lived in a way like John describes in John 5. Jesus saying, I only do what I see the Father doing. He lived in this, in this way where he was connected to God by the Spirit of God, where he was able to live and work and whatever he was doing, like Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 10 31, whether you're eating or drinking, do it for the glory of God. Like he lived with this awareness of what God is doing in that moment. So much of prayer is awareness, it's sensitivity. Like, God, what are you actually doing in this moment? Yeah. I don't, I don't want to build my agenda. I don't want to just rely on my strength. I want to be sensitive to your spirit. This is why Jesus told him in John 16, he says, it's better for you that I go away because you have an external example right now. You have something that is in a sense at arm's length. But when my spirit comes, my the spirit of Jesus, right? The spirit of God is going to intermingle with your spirits. And what is external is going to become internal. It's going to become a part of who you are and your responses, your reactions are going to be able to reflect the heart of God in a way that they just can't right now because this hasn't gotten down deep into the depths of who you are by the spirit. And so we have that, we have conscious, which is what I would call like prayerfulness, awareness. And then we also have quality time. So you have conscious time, you have quality time. Quality time would be when Jesus was stealing away for hours, an entire night before he appointed the 12 apostles, where he would steal away to the quiet, to the desert places. Like that's, that's important too. And the two feed each other. The problem is we only define prayer really as the one, Mm. the quality time. And the quality time is essential. People ask me all the time, like, how much time should I spend in my closet? How much time should I spend in quality time? And I tell them, you actually won't know until you try. Mm. And it's going, it's going to ebb and flow with seasons and with needs in your life. And that's okay. Again, this is not transactional. It's relational. But what will happen is if you practice both quality time and conscious time in prayer, if you invite God to every moment of your day, and you don't view this as just you moving your mouth and saying words, but you also living with this awareness and expectation that God truly does want to be a part of your life, mm-hmm. your conscious time with God is going to feed your quality time. And your quality time is going to feed your conscious time. Yeah. And both of them will be strengthened and both of them will become a more necessary part of your everyday life. No, I love that quality time in conscious time. I think that's so powerful just to be able to to think about, to picture kind of practical steps to be able to actually engage in this connection, this deep, intimate connection with God. In your book on page, let's see here, 57, you talk specifically about, you actually are quoted saying, people tend to abandon the idea of God though when they feel abandoned by him. Then you said, yeah. if I use one word to describe what keeps us from reaching out to God, it would be our pain, right? And you're talking to somebody, I work in the mental health field, I'm a counselor by trade. So you talk about actually being able to help people reflect and understand the journey that they've experienced through pain. I also read a quote by Richard Foster that he wrote in his book. He says that the biggest deterrent that he believes to an active prayer life is the belief that everything has to be right before we come Mm. to the eyes of God, right? So that understanding, can you help us just kind of dive into that. Why is pain so difficult and why does it separate us from that constant communion with him? Yeah. Well, I think it's, again, going back to how we view pain and you as a counselor, you understand this pain isn't, pain isn't wrong when it's necessary. Mm. Pain is a locator. Yeah. Pain identifies what is wrong so it can be surrendered to what is right. That's right. And so if we're not honest about our, our pains, we're actually going to be set up for a more confusing bout with pain. Mm. But when we're honest about our pain, 
then we're able to move through our pain and understand what that pain is about, what it points to, what it promises. And this is you know, this is a part of what Jesus is getting at when he said, blessed are those who mourn, for, for they will be comforted. Yeah. Like the people who, who move through pain and are honest about their pain and surrender the pain and don't allow the pain to become a source of dislocation mm. and a, a, a source of shame. Because again, pain speaks to problem. Like Absolutely. something isn't right. Right. And when, when we feel that, we're like, well, maybe I'm not right. Mm. And because I'm not right, maybe I should be shameful about who I am. Right. And because I should be shameful about who I am, maybe I should strep- separate myself and isolate myself. Mm. And when I look at, as you were sharing this, what came to mind was Hebrews 4. I'm actually going to pull out my Bible. Yeah. Um, I got it right here. So I'm going to pull it out because it's, if that's okay, well, yeah. Just, I'll take a moment because I actually want to read this because it's very specific to what we're talking about. This is Hebrews chapter four. And when, when people, when they hear this verse, they think of it as a scary thing. Hmm. Like, oh no, like God's coming to judge me. But really like, listen, listen to the context here. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight. Now, this is actually a promise that God searches and knows mm-hmm. that there's nothing that is hidden from him. Yeah. God knows the source of your pain. God knows everything about what's behind your pain. Mm-hmm. Now, the enemy wants you to shrink back and the enemy tells you, hey, once you get all your stuff together, yeah. once you've eliminated your pain, mm-hmm. once you are perfect to lay us whole, mm-hmm. then you can go to God. Exactly. But listen, listen to what the writer of Hebrews says. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. In other words, like the description of heavens means here's literally he's passed through every space. So there's no space that he doesn't occupy. Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast our confession for we do not have a priest who's unable to sympathize with us in our weakness. But one who is in every respect has been tempted as we are, which means that Jesus has felt pain. He has felt abandonment. I mean, think about the moment on the cross. Quoting David, Psalm 22, one, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Mm. He had to move through that pain, that sense of God, you're not here with me. You've abandoned me. Like Jesus had to feel that because that is an essential part of the human experience. He couldn't become like us in every respect if he didn't know that separation, if he didn't have to move through that separation. But what's interesting, if you look at Psalm 22, David later writes, you do not abandon the afflicted in their affliction, nor do you turn your face away from them, which we don't have time to unpack that today. But and I'm not trying to get into theories of atonement, but I, but I do want to call that out that a necessary part of Jesus's human experience was moving through the pain going on. It says, and this is all one thought it's broken up in most Bible, but it's one thought. It says, let us then with confidence in our pain, in our confusion, in our disorientation, let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Wow. Like that, that is the promise. Mercy for what has been, yep. grace for what will be. Mm. We, so what he's saying is when you draw in, instead of shrinking back, when you draw in, you find mercy for what has been and grace for what will be. And you're found right there protected in the middle of mercy and grace. Mm. So, and that becomes real for us as we surrender our pain, as we speak, as we give, give mention to our pain. I, I heard a counselor once say that what is what you can mention, you can manage. Mm. And I, 
And I think, I, think that's, I think that's powerful. And when we talk about confession and we talk about the gift of coming into God's presence and confessing what is ultimately true about him yeah. so that we can understand what is ultimately true about us, that's what we're doing. Man, it's powerful stuff right there. And Hebrews is one of my favorite books in the Bible. And I love that passage talking about that we serve a high priest that can resonate with us, can relate with us in the midst of all of the pain because he too has experienced the same things. And I often try to help people have that perspective shift of understanding that God doesn't just allow us to go through the pain in our lives, right? Not without a purpose, first and foremost, but he's also in our midst experiencing that pain alongside of us. That's kind of the picture that I have of Christ. But as you said, you talk a lot about the voice of the accuser and how we kind Mm -hmm. of unfortunately allow that voice to get turned up. And we're seeing it now more than ever in culture and society, right? The voice of the accuser is really, really loud. I think of comparison, pain, fear, wanting to get, be, and do more constantly in every facet of our lives, right? And then all of a sudden, it's like, how in the world do we understand how to turn up the voice of God then? I know we talked about conscious and quality time, but I think a big question for a lot of our listeners today, Addison, is how do I know that I'm actually plugging in and listening and hearing the voice of God in my life, right? I know for me personally, I've never audibly heard the voice of God in my life. And so the big question is, what is it? that God, how can he reveal himself to us? How do I know that I'm attaching to that? And it wasn't just, you know, feelings of my gut, or it wasn't just previous experiences or the bad pizza that I ate last night that made me feel a certain (laughs) way. How do I know that actually God leading and guiding and directing me? What's, what would your response be to that? Yeah. Well, my response to that would be when you look at Jesus's moment of baptism, when you have the father speaking beloved identity over him, Mm. what's what's the next what's the next move in scripture the next move in scripture is he's led by the spirit into the wilderness and what's what's the first thing that the accuser says to him if you're really the son of god Mm. if you're really the son of god so what the accuser is going to do the accuser is going to come and he's going to say if you're really this if you're really that if you're really and and his play is confusion uh, like that's, that's, that's the accuser's play is confusion. And the, the reality is we are invited into a silence in prayer mm. because we have to unlearn the voice of the accuser. Otherwise we look for God's voice in the voice and tenor of the accuser. Yes. Most people look for God's voice to sound an awful lot like the voice of the accuser. That's right. So much of our formation, um, our cultural, our familial, our societal, our educational, our political formation is, is compromised, is tainted, e- even religious. Okay. I would put religion in there too. Absolutely. Tainted by the voice of the accuser. Mm. And so the, the rhetoric that we're familiar with, the voice that we're familiar with is, is not inspired by God mm. and the voice of God. It's the voice of the accuser. And when I share that, like people kind of take something like, Oh my gosh. Wait a second. And then like, no, actually think about your image and your picture of God. That's why the fourth chapter of this book, I, I bring the reader into an account of who's actually on the other side of your prayers. Yep. Like, who is this person? Who is this God? Why does this God interact with your prayers the way that he, she, it, whatever? Like, let's be honest. Like, what image do you have on the other side of your prayers? Let's talk about how that image of God was formed. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, we can get into 
the the science and of, of that but but right. my point is my point is um we're we're formed through a voice of accusation look at look at the rhetoric of our day look at the way we're navigating difficult conversations about differences about the best way forward all of it really is is navigated with a vote with the tone of accusation it just is and that's because the accuser has everyone's ear and the accuser says invalidate everyone else to validate yourself wow yeah and that's and that's that's what shame does and so what I'm getting at here about hearing the voice of God, there's, there's a few, there's a few like tests that you can run. And I don't want to oversimplify this because again, I spend the whole book yeah. juxtaposing the voice of God and the voice of the accuser. Yeah. So I, you know, so I want to be careful not to just give an answer that feels too simplistic, but one of the things that like you'll, you'll find the voice of, of God, it, it's going to make you uncomfortable. Mm. It's going to move you outside your comfort zone. Mm. But there is a wooing, there's a calling to something that you know is more truly you. Mm. That, whereas the accuser is going to get in there. And if the accuser is moving you into action, he's moving you into action from a place of accusation. It's kind of like the difference between, Paul outlines this in 2 Corinthians 7, the difference between godly sorrow and, wor- and worldly sorrow. Worldly yeah. sorrow is very like self-focused. And I would say the voice of the accuser is going to get you very focused on yourself, your limitations, your lack Mm-hmm. Um, what you didn't do, what you can't do. Whereas the voice of God is actually going to move you into what I would call a, a presentness to the presence. Yeah. Where you are right now, what's happening around you, where there's trust, where there's humility, where there's surrender, mm-hmm. where he's calling us to believe things about ourselves that we previously thought were impossible. But he's saying, no, actually allow my grace, which is given to the humble, allow, and the humble simply is those who take God at his word, like believe that what God says is true is actually true. Not whatever we think is true. Like that's what humility is. Like David was a humble man, even in his audacity and his boldness, because he ultimately he put more stock in what God said about him and what God said over their nation. He put more stock in that over what anyone else was saying about what was going to happen. And so that's something really practical. Like where, what is this voice moving you toward? Is it, is it shrinking your world? Is it making your world smaller and smaller? Mm-hmm. Or is it opening you to places of faith and promise that require you to step out, but not step out to validate yourself, but to step out from this place of obedient surrender because God's asking you to go on this adventure with him. I mean, that's really like what God did with Abraham. He asked him, he's like, hey, I'm going to take you on an adventure. Yeah. And I'm not going to give you all the answers at the beginning. And we have this idea of God. Like God gives people all the answers yeah. at the beginning. And I'm like, y'all, there's no, like really no precedent in scripture for that. <laughs> and yet somehow, I don't know, it's just the Western mentality of like purpose and calling. Yep. We get so mad when we don't have all the answers for the yeah. rest of our lives. And this is what I tell people. With my life. Yeah, exactly. I know, I know. Like, like this, this is the best, like, this is the best answer I love to give to people. A couple of things. Number one, and this affects how we pray, but Proverbs 20, verse 5 says, purpose in the heart of a man is like deep waters. And it's an allusion to a well. And with a well, you go back and you draw again and again and again and again to drink from it. You don't draw one time. It goes on to say a man or a woman of understanding will draw it out. Like, so it is an ongoing journey. Purpose is something that is drawn out. So purpose isn't something that's discovered in a moment or even a season. I would say it's cultivated through a lifetime of discoveries. And this is because we can't handle, Zach, we can't handle the scope of the purpose that God has for our life. 
I just want everyone to like feel a release right now. Yep. There's that movie, A Few Good Men. I don't know if you've ever seen it. Have you ever seen it? <laughs> yeah. Have you seen it? Okay. I haven't actually seen it, but there's a scene that is so quotable and memeable yep. that I, I know it. And, and I've watched this piece of the movie because I was like, I want to understand the context of this line. But basically, where, where uh, the older senior officer yells at the punk lawyer who's Tom Cruise, yep. punk lawyer, younger officer, he basically yells, you can't handle the truth. He's like, you want the truth? You can't handle the truth. Right? And he yells it. I feel like God is saying like to us, like, y'all are demanding, like, you want to know the truth. You can't handle it. Yeah. Like, you honestly, like, you can't handle but I'm preparing you to handle it. Mm. So anything that feels like I'm hiding it from you, I'm hiding it for you. Because the day is going to come when you will be ready to say yes to it. But let's just focus on what saying yes means today, right now in this moment. And by doing so, it's actually going to prepare you for these other things. And that goes back to being present to the presence of God in this moment, being present to the presence of the people around you, because that is the pathway forward into purpose. Man, Addison, that is so powerful what you just said. If he is hiding it from us, he's ultimately hiding it for us. And then you ask, you know, the difference between the voice of the accuser and the voice of God is which way is that voice pushing you toward? Which direction is it moving you toward? Is it moving you toward one of self-centeredness or is it moving you toward one that's ultimately helping you understand a truer version of yourself for which God has created you for? I love that idea. And as you're talking about presence, and we're here with Addison Bevere going over a new book that he just released back in April titled Words with God, Trading Boring, Empty Prayer for Real Connection. On page 47, you talk about a prayer circle talk about eight different components, right, that I absolutely love. And you talk about presence, like you just mentioned, talk about power, promise, perseverance, perspective, purpose, petition, and people. And something you note is that they're all interconnected. Now, depending on, you know, where you're at in life, what stage you're in, they may be out of order in different ways, but they all have this form of connectedness. Can you help us understand, Addison, why all eight of those components you believe are integral to being able to experience just an active and engaged prayer life? Absolutely. I think the temptation when it comes to anything with God is we we think of God in linear terms. Yeah. Like like we could somehow ascend to God mm. by following a line. <laughs> yeah. And what and what I have found when it comes to the journey of formation, it's much more circular. Yep. And it might feel like we're going in circles, like we're revisiting, man, I thought I was past this doubt or this insecurity or this pain. Like I thought I was past this, but no, actually we're seeing it from a fresh view. Mm. Um we're seeing it from a new place of authority. We're seeing it um, in a new season. And because of that, there's new opportunities of freedom and potential to be unlocked yeah. through that experience, right? So when, when I call out those, those eight words in the book, and, I, and I'm even intentional in the book not to make, not to make the book, like I, I, I say in there, like I didn't create an eight-word framework in this book. But in this book, you're going to see how these eight words how, how they, they work with each other. And you're going to see this dynamism amongst them and how they come together to create fresh expressions in different seasons for specific purposes. And I did that because I think it's so easy to make prayer just about petition yeah. or prayer just about power yeah. or prayer just about whatever it is, presence. Like, oh, I'm just in the, like, no, actually, you got to understand how these work together. Mm. And that's where we go from this mentality of prayer as something I do 15 minutes a day or 20 minutes a day or whatever, to something that really can become a way of life. And I'm, 
you know, it's funny that you bring up the circle. I'm actually doing something now. Uh, I, I included in the book. I don't know if you saw this. I put my email in the book. Yeah. The, 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 the back, yeah. So the back of the book, I put my email in there and I, and my editor challenged me. She said, Hey, people are going to read this book and they're going to want to keep going with you. And I just believe God's giving you something to continue the conversation. Like you've invited them in and there's so much more. Can we please like pray into what it means to continue the conversation? Well, I didn't know what that meant. Right. And so I told her, I said, listen, I'm, I'm just happy. Like I'm done with the book, like two and a half years of work. Right. I'm like, I'm not, but let's, I was like, let's do this. I'll just mention this is where I'm at. And I put my email in there and man, it's been incredible seeing the way this is speaking to people. I had one guy, he's in his eighties. Actually, the last week I've had three messages from people who were all 65 or older. Mm. And cause they all mentioned one of them said, I've been following Jesus for 55 years. The other one, 50 years and the other uh, 60 years. Wow. This gentleman, 85 years old, he wrote, he wrote me and he said, I can only imagine what my life would have been like if I would have read this 60 years ago. Wow. Um, and, and one of the other ladies, she said, I've never, she's navigating stage three cancer right now. And she said, I've never sensed the presence of God, like in my life. Like I've never felt a closeness to God. Mm. And she said, after reading this book, she's like, I feel a closeness to God. Like I feel like I'm living wow. in a prayer. And so God gave me some language about like, prayer as a way of life. And um, so I'm sending out right now, I'm just sending out an email on Sunday evenings to people who have asked me to. And I'm just, it's just something for the week ahead. So Sunday night, I'm sending it out. So it's funny you bring this up because what I wrote for this Sunday is all about how, why I think circles are God's favorite shape. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, 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 and this, then the circular nature of prayer. And, and, and I, I actually quote Ortega and said, there, there are some things that can't be taken by direct assault. Yeah. They must be taken like Jericho. Mm. That's good. And like, That's what good. is it? What does it mean? Mm. to take things like Jericho in prayer. And why, why does God invite us to that form of understanding and that form of purpose and that form of discovery? So, Man, dude, that's some powerful stuff just in understanding. I love that the circle is God's favorite shape and that idea of Jericho, right? Just being able, just the repetitiveness and continuing to draw nearer and closer. And I loved even you mentioned earlier about the well, right? Being able to go back and back and back and praying without ceasing. First Thessalonians 5.17, right? Praying continually what that looks like in our lives. And you have given us so much that we can unpack and really just dive into. And, you know, talking with you, man, I could sit here and talk another couple of hours. Like I have, I've loved the book. I've loved this conversation. Oh, thanks, bro. But man, I know that uh, time is short. Time is limited. So as we come to a close here, Addison, um, yeah. how we always love to close our episodes is kind of by leaving the door open uh, for our guests to share a word that God has really placed on their heart for such a time as this. And today, who I'd li- really love for you to speak to, maybe someone um, who's listening that maybe hasn't, like you said, experienced that the presence of God. Maybe they've prayed, right? They pray for meals. They pray before bed. They pray when there's like an imminent prayer request or something like that. But maybe they're just discouraged and they're disappointed. They're seeking, but they just don't know exactly how to do it, where to look. They feel distanced from God. Addison, what's the word that you want to leave that listener with today that would spark some hope, encouragement, and motivation for the road forward? Yeah, no, I think I think that's a great question. And as you were sharing that, 
I was, I was praying and said, okay, God, what do you want me to share? What came to mind is John four, uh, the moment between Jesus and the Samaritan woman. And when the Samaritan woman figures out, okay, there's something special about Jesus and that like he, he's some kind of holy man. She tries to engage him in a conversation about the best place to worship. Mm. And, I, and I love how he looks at her. He's like, come on. Hey, the time's coming. is even now when the true worshipers, they're going to worship in spirit and in truth. And I, and I, and bro, I've had these conversations and I've experienced my own journey of five years of feeling like God had completely abandoned me. Um, what I have found is in these moments where it feels like God has abandoned us, what God is inviting us into is actually to release, mm. release the mechanism, release the framework that puts us in control of whether we're worthy or not mm. to be a place where God comes and meets with us. To release that, to humble ourselves before God and say, God, I don't get it. I don't have all the answers. I don't, I don't, I don't even know the boxes to check. Yeah. But what I do know is that you promise, James 4, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Like you promise that you will never leave or forsake me. Mm-hmm. Paul writes radical things in 1 Corinthians 3 and 1 Corinthians 6 and 2 Corinthians 6 that I am God's temple. Like God's spirit lives in me. Spirit of God, make that real to me in a way that that's never been real before that's y'all that's it mm-hmm. like god i love what paul writes in philippians 2 where he says that he gives us the will he, and he calls us beloved here in the context here gives us the will to do his will mm-hmm. like there his will will intermingle with our own and so if we just surrender our will saying god i don't know how this works i'm just putting my hands up yeah. Like, I don't know how this works. I tried. I've tried for 20 years. I've tried for 40 years. I've tried for whatever it is. Mm-hmm. I have found reasons to disqualify myself. I, whatever it is, like I'm laying it down. Yeah. The hardest thing to lay down at the foot of the cross is our opinion of ourselves. Mm-hmm. The hardest thing to lay down at the foot of the cross is our opinion of our worthiness. What makes us worthy? What makes us not worthy? And I just sense right now, whoever's listening to this, like lay it down. Yeah. Like surrender that opinion of yourself, surrender that opinion of your process, your, the brokenness of your process. Lift up your hands, like in a sign of surrender, like put your hands up. Just like, God, I'm done. Mm. Like just, I'm done. I need you to step in. I need you to take over. I believe that this is true, but I don't even know how to believe that it is true. I think of the father, the epileptic, epileptic son. Mm. I do believe, help me in my unbelief. Like yeah. it's okay to pray prayers like that. Yep. God's not afraid of that. Like we shared earlier, Hebrews 4, four God already knows. He already knows the dissonance. He knows the tension. He's in there. Mm. He's, a part, like he's a part of that. And so I just believe that God is going to reach you there. And, um, and you're going to realize the framework that you have been using, it hasn't worked because it's the wrong framework. That's it's right. put you in control. And it's time to let it go. It's time to surrender it. Mm. That's that perfect idea of submission and surrendering to the spirit open hands hands up right and in that idea of vulnerability is where all the power is found ian yes. puts it this way little prayer little pra- little power more prayer more power much prayer much power addison bevere man i can't thank you enough brother just for your time for your willingness to join us let me ask you one last thing where can our listeners yes. go to learn more about you and to buy and purchase a copy of this incredible book Thank you, Zach. It's been so good being here with you today. Uh, the book, Words with God, is available wherever books are sold. Audiobook, 
two. I did read the audiobook. So that's that's available where audiobooks are available. And it's also available in Spanish. Um, it has been has been published in Spanish now. That's awesome. So yeah. Well, I, so I challenge all of our listeners, yeah, to go and purchase a copy of this book. Let me tell you, it really is, it really is life changing. And it will really kind of make you go inside of yourself and question your idea. Like you said, your foundation, the fundamentals on which you believe prayer was ultimately designed for. And it will help you really connect with God at a deeper and more intimate level. Addison Bevere, thank you again, my friend, for all that you're doing. You truly are on fire for the Lord. I love your passion. I love your enthusiasm, the, the conviction with which you speak and the energy that you give, man. I have it, uh, and I really appreciate you, my friend. Oh, thank you, Zach. I'm glad we were able to do this. It was an honor. Absolutely, brother. You guys, as we come to a close, I just wanted to take the time to read um, just really a couple of the last sentences that Addison leaves us with in his incredible book, Words with God, Trading Boring and Empty Prayer for Real Connection. And I was talking about the voice of God in these moments. This is how he chose to close out this book. He said, the voice has the final say over our lives, and he calls us his own. His name is above every other name, sin and shame, disease and disaster, the secular and the sacred. The word breathes life into our words, revealing what they mean in the light of eternity. He went on to say, as C.S. Lewis writes, I know now, Lord, why you utter no answer. You are yourself the answer. Before your face, questions die away. What other answer would suffice? Only words, words to be led out to battle against other words. To know the name is to participate in the power and permanence of God, the God who is everywhere, the God who sees, the God who provides, the God who heals, the God who forgives, the God who fights for us, the God who speaks. To pray in the name is to give the voice who has a name the final word. My friends, I don't know what season of life you may find yourself in, I don't know if you're going through a really difficult time, one that's just been riddled with pain, um, shame, sin, challenge, difficulty, adversity. I don't know where your view is on God right now, but I just want you to know that he is right there in your midst, that he still loves you, that he is still pursuing you. He is chasing after your heart and your soul. And sometimes all we have to do is stick a foot in the ground and just do a 180 for a second to just see him there, arms extended, arms outstretched, waiting to give us a warm embrace, to help us understand that even in the midst of the most trying and difficult times in our lives, he doesn't just allow those things to happen to us, right? He's a good father that loves us. He wants to be in the midst of that, experiencing it with us. Jesus goes where he's invited, my friends. And my prayer is that today, after hearing this conversation about prayer and what it really looks like to build and to grow and to develop this intimate relationship with God and this connection with him, that you would be willing to invite him into the midst of your mess. 
He's not afraid of your doubt. He's not afraid of your discouraged spirit. He's not afraid of some of the challenging questions you may bring to him. He's willing to embrace all of those things. He's already taken the pain. He's already taken our punishment. He's not afraid of our questions. He just wants us to understand that the blessing is in the clinging to him, in the wrestling with him. He is the answer that we seek. It's like I shared with you in the midst of that interview in one of the most difficult times of my life. I felt God imprint that on my heart, on my spirit, on my soul. Those words, Zach, in the absence of clarity, when you don't have all of the answers in the absence of clarity, there's an invitation to intimacy with me. You don't need all those answers, bud. I am the answer that you ultimately seek. My prayer today is that no matter what that looks like, There may be not even a structure to this prayer, right? That you just go to him, that you have this conversation or this communication or this connection with God. I don't know what that may look like. I understand that may look like you yelling. That may look like you being upset. That may look like you bursting out in tears, crying out to God, but just understanding that he hears you, that he sees you. Like Addison was saying in Hebrews chapter four, that we serve a high priest that can sympathize with us in all of our pain because not only did he experience it himself when he took on flesh, but also he experiences it with us in the midst of our pain when we invite him into the midst of our mess. My friends, please, please help my buddy Addison Bevere in terms of getting this book. If you want it, I mean, please go look it up on his website. Again, it's titled Words with God, Trading Boring, Empty Prayer for Real Connection. You can also bulk order it by just sending a simple email to mail at messengerinternational.org or you can call 1-800-648-1477 to get a discount on a bulk order. This would be just an incredible book that can just really impact and influence the trajectory of whether it's your church group, your small group, whether it's a Bible study, your company, friends, family, whatever it is, you guys, I'm telling you guys, it's a life-changing book. It will really help you not only get a better understanding for what prayer is and the significance of it, but it will help you as you continually try to develop and foster a real connection and a real personal and intimate relationship with God as well. So my friends, get the book. I'm telling you, it'll be life-changing. And again, we just cannot thank Addison Bevere enough for just his vulnerability and his willingness to join us today. As always, you guys, man, I love you. We love being a part of your life. I hope you guys have a great rest of your day. Thank you for joining us. And we'll see you next time right here on the Build Different Podcast.